welcome along to the Champions League betting blueprint. And it's the final one because it is indeed the final that's coming up here with Pinnacle Betting. We've got Jake Oscarthorpe from Info Goal. Welcome back, Jake. And also welcome back to freelance expert Andrew Beasley, who's a regular contributor to Pinnacle. Andrew, you've written a couple of pieces as well. Um, on our website. We'll give them a little plug, shall we? How important is age and experience at the Euros? Perhaps something to factor in uh, to our punters to help them get the edge. And also, another article, can Euros qualifying help inform your predictions? So, with the Euros, just, I mean, remarkably, as we record this, under three weeks away now, that's probably worth a look, actually, at some point. And the squad's announced, as we record this on uh, a Monday, uh, the Wales squad is announced in about six days' time. And tomorrow, we find out what Gareth Southgate does in terms of his England selections there as well. But this is about the Champions League. Of course, many players from the final um, will be featuring in the Euros. But before we go into the final, I think we'll get Jake and Andrew's take of the semi-finals as well. Paris Saint-Germain, ill-discipline. And Manchester City, brilliance. <laughs> or Manchester City, advance. Is that the way that you guys see it? Um, I'll start off with Jake. Um, yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, I think the first leg, there was a massive overreaction to Man City's performance. Um, everyone was saying, oh, Man City were brilliant. You know, they deservedly won. It was a perfect away performance. But they were second best for the most part. And it, the base, the difference was that they took their chances and PSG didn't. And that put them in a really strong position over the tie. And then obviously in the second leg, they pressed home that advantage and did do a really good job defensively. But they did look a little bit shaky in that first leg um, from various situations, set pieces, counter-attacks. Um, so yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on there. But overall, I think, that, I think Manchester City did deserve to qualify. Um, and yeah, the, you know, the entertainment value of PSG completely losing their heads towards the end of the game was, um, you know, for, for the neutrals was really, really fun to watch. But um, yeah, I, I think... It's been a long time coming, hasn't it? Manchester City getting into the Champions League final. It's, um, it's the first time uh, in the club's history. So, yeah, it, credit where credit's due for Pep Guardiola. Uh, I know he gets a lot of stick pretty much year in, year out when it comes to this competition of doing too much tinkering with his teams and, um, you know, always being at the, uh, at the head of the betting market as well and never winning it. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that the... I mean, PSG, they're, they're no mugs, are they? They've got a really, really strong side. And the way in which Man City dealt with them, particularly in the second leg, I thought was impressive. I agree. Um, it was, uh, yeah, no, I, I think it was it was pretty close over the two legs um, on the underlying statistics, the expected goals, things like that. Um, yeah, the, it was a strange um, first leg. I think if you were going to write a book about sort of the impact of variance in, in cup competitions, then... I think Pep Guardiola would be your ultimate case study, really, because they've had games in the past where they've been, they've been much better than they were in Paris, and yet they score two, um, two long-range sort of free-kick goals, and, and then they head home with the, with the 2-1 advantage. And once they had that advantage, it was pretty unlikely um, that they were going to, to go out. You know, there's only been one instance in the last 17 years of a team losing 2-1 at home in the first leg and getting through, which was Ajax against Real Madrid in 2019. So as soon as they had that result, I mean, they weren't exactly in the final, but they'd taken an enormous step towards it. And, and as we've said, they didn't necessarily deserve to win the game, but obviously that's how it goes. City are actually among the top five teams in this season's tournament for both corners and also crosses per game, which isn't really a surprise with a team that's 
been so dominant domestically and then obviously reached the final in this competition. And they've only failed to score in uh, in two Champions League fixtures since the start of 2018 to 2019. Now, that's pretty remarkable. I'm sure that we'll be able to factor that in when we actually do talk about the final itself. We'll just talk briefly about Chelsea because they absolutely outplayed Real Madrid, didn't they, across those 180 minutes. The better side won. Um, Andrew Tuchel won that tactical battle with Zidane. And actually, I don't think to many who know European football, that that really was much of a surprise because I don't think that Zidane gets a great deal of credit from those inside the game for his tactical nails, despite actually having more Champions League titles than any active manager. So, um, Andrew, how did you see it? I mean, it, it was Chelsea just looked so convincing, didn't it? Completely different to what we saw, actually, as they finished the Premier League season with a bit of a win. Yeah, they were very impressive and, and thoroughly deserved to go through. I think they, um, you know, they probably got a, a good example of how not to play against Real Madrid from, from Liverpool in the previous round, who were terrible um, in Madrid and, and deservedly beaten and, and, and sort of far too open. I mean, Chelsea were never going to do that anyway. But I mean, yeah, they, they clearly um, they succeeded where Liverpool sort of failed pretty miserably. Um, yeah, I think they were, the, they were the better team throughout. I mean, the second leg, they had seven clear-cut chances. They should have, they should have won it by a greater margin than they did. Um, you know, I think Real's best chance in the second leg came shortly after Chelsea had scored. I guess if they score that, then maybe it's different. But overall, I mean, no, Chelsea had, had so many more um, high-quality chances than Real. They thoroughly deserved to go through. And Jake, is that the way that you saw it? Because ultimately, I think... It was, it was so dominant and you can't help but actually wonder if Tuchel just as down tools after that, after making the Champions League final. I mean, obviously I know he didn't, I'm not questioning his professionalism um, or integrity here as well, by the way. But perhaps a question that I kind of thought of is maybe they actually thought they had a bit more strength and depth than they actually do realistically. Or is the Premier League form actually just completely... It's not actually a byproduct of them getting to that Champions League final. Well, um, you, we talk about this quite a lot on the uh, Premier League podcast. And, you know, you, you've said there they had they finished season with a whimper. That's from a results standpoint. I mean, the underlying performances tell a completely different story. The last three matches in particular, Arsenal, Leicester and Villa, they racked up over two expected goals in all three of those. Um, and against Arsenal, they were unfortunate not to at least score once. Against Aston Villa, they put up over three and a half expected goals at the weekend and, and only managed to score once. So it's not that they're not playing well. It was just that they're not taking the chances. And um, that is something that bodes well heading into next season. But going back to the Real Madrid tie, I mean, like, you, like Andrew said, they were utterly dominant. I mean, the XG figures over the two legs were quite astonishing, really. 5.6 in Chelsea's favour to just not, uh, 1.5 of Real Madrid. So it was really almost well, more than three times the, the XG value over the two legs. And, and I think what was really interesting is, I know you've said there about Zidane and his, his you know, perhaps underrated tactical nows. It almost felt to me, though, that he went a bit Guardiola-like with it. He thought, right, Chelsea play a back three and they're really difficult to play against it. You know, they get into the half spaces really, really well from an attacking standpoint. How can I nullify that? Oh, I'll go back three as well. But by doing that, he completely upset the whole shape that Real Madrid play so well with, which is that tight three midfield, Casemiro, Modric and Cruz, who get on, get on the ball and dominate the tempo. And by basically stretching the team out, playing players in, in positions they're not comfortable with, they don't play regularly, it's just played into Chelsea's hands. And 
Um, I, al- I always think that that is a case in point that happens all the time when another team is scared of the- their opponents and rather than trusting their own tactical plan, they adjust to try and stop their opponents from being able to do what they do best. But ultimately, it's very similar to in the Premier League, over the last, or not this season, but seasons previous with Wolves. I mean, no one knew how to deal with Wolves. So they had always set up in a back three or a back five. But because Wolves know the system way better, they've been playing it for three years, it's been drilled into them. They've got players who are built for that system. Wolves would usually come out on, on top in those battles. And um, that's what makes this final so fascinating because I could just see Guardiola playing a back five and just completely tearing up what, we've done before, what he's done previous. But I hope he doesn't because... You know, at the end of the day, Man City, the best team in, in the country and arguably in Europe. So they should have no fear about playing Chelsea in their own manner. Well, I'll tell you what, let's get on to the final then. City against Chelsea is the Champions League final. It's Saturday the 29th of May. It kicks off at 8 o'clock. Of course, it was switched back from Istanbul, wasn't it? Uh, it's now being played at the Stadio de Drago in Porto. Excuse the pronunciation. It was all right though, fellas, wasn't it? Not too bad. Uh, Drigao. Drigao. All right, all right. I'm sorry, Mr. Portugal. <laughs> Uh, thanks, Jay. <laughs> Appreciate that. And by the way, if you are listening to this podcast, why not? If you're stationary and you're not driving, uh, get up the odds. Pinnacle.com is where you can find them. There's loads of different variables uh, that you can uh, have a flutter on. And also, why not use the info goal model as well? There's a great info goal page all about the Champions League, infogoal.net as well. And uh, just to r- read through some of the stats. So, I mean, this is the one, that, the biggest one for me. And um, you guys are going to tell me that actually it makes no difference at all. But the fact that Ilkay Gundogan is the top scorer, he's emerged as a top scorer, and they actually boast three goal scorers who've got 16 goals or more across all competitions. Now, that's more than the best Chelsea player has managed in any competition this season. I know that's not actually a reflection on anything, but it does kind of paint a bit of a picture as to where both sides are at in terms of creative flair, particularly since Thomas Tuchel's come in. We all know that he showed them up defensively and you've got loads of stats on this joke with the info goal model, haven't you? We've seen the expected goals against really plummet since he took over from Frank Lampard. But with that in mind, City to score over 1.5 goals at 2.230 looks tempting but I'm sure that you guys are going to help our punters find the edge so uh, Jake and then Andrew I want your thoughts uh, just initially on uh, where you see the game going yeah it's set up really nicely given the fact that Manchester City are the better of the two teams from a 1-11 to standpoint but Chelsea are beating them twice under Tuchel so you've got that nice balance of you know Man City probably 50% of the time would win the game um, at a neutral venue but Chelsea have got their number um, and Thomas Tuchel really does have a decent record against Pep Guardiola as a Chelsea manager. And, and the two, in particular, the FA Cup semi-final, which is the, uh, sorry, yeah, which is the highest profile of the meetings, um, the way in which they did do a really good job of shutting Manchester City down. Um, it, yeah, in theory, this game, the, this sort of matchup for Chelsea against Manchester City should really suit them because it, City will want to dominate the ball. City will want to push up the pitch. And we know that Chelsea do like to dominate the football, but they've also shown that they are capable of sitting deeper and defending deeper and then springing, because that's what we saw in particular in the first half an hour against Real Madrid in that first leg. They sat a bit deeper and with the pace of Mount, Pulisic, Werner, caused some real issues on the counter-attack. So I can see Chelsea wanting to play into that similar kind of game plan, at least initially until they get a foothold in the game. 
Manchester City will be trying to dominate the football. I, I think back to last season's Champions League final and how it was billed as a really high scoring, potentially high scoring match between Bayern Munich and PSG and it obviously finished 1-0. This game seems like it's going to be built as the opposite. It's going to be a really low scoring game, two really strong defences, two teams like to dominate the football. Um, and I'd be very surprised if it is anything other than what is expected, really, given, as we've said, Chelsea's defensive improvements, but also Manchester City's, because see, year on year, City have been um, you know, much, much better defensively than they were last season. People point to Ruben Diaz as, as the catalyst for that, and you know, he can take some of the credit, obviously, but um, you know, slight system tweaks have definitely helped in that as well. So Guardiola deserves the other half of that credit, really, um, just for making his team a little bit more sturdy, especially when, uh, when you're in transitions. Uh, they've got the, the fullbacks tuck in as central midfielders and just add extra bodies in the middle there to uh, break down quick counterattacks. So yeah, it's built up to be a really, or built, it is set up to be a fascinating clash. And, um, and I, think, I think we've got two of the best tactical managers in Europe going head to head. I know Jurgen Klopp is probably up there as well, but in-game management, I think these two are right up there. Yeah, I can only really agree. I think it's probably going to be a low-scoring um, match. If you if you look back, then when it's uh, two teams from the same country in the final, it's normally very very close. There's been um, seven finals between two teams from the same country in the past. Three of them have gone to penalties. One of them went to extra time. One of them had an 89th minute winner. And uh, Liverpool against Spurs was only really settled three minutes from the end when Liverpool went two nil up. So. The vast majority of them are very close. You've got the two teams from the Premier League with the best defensive records. Um, Chelsea even more so since Tuchel's taken charge. And it could be a situation where they effectively cancel each other out and, and chances are at a real premium. You know, it wouldn't surprise me. I think, I think it's interesting as well because it looks like Chelsea have the upper hand to an extent because they've won the last two games. But of course... In the more recent one, um, City had a chance to go 2-0 up just before half-time and Sergio Aguero took a, took a poor penalty and then Chelsea turned it around in the second half. If City go 2-0 up, chances are they win that and then we're coming into this one win each and, it, and you'd probably lean towards City even more. Um, so, yeah, I'm not expecting many goals. Um, and I think, uh, sort of as, as Jake has said, Chelsea won't mind um, sort of the underdog tag and, and having a bit less of the ball. Um, but I would think that City are probably going to have the edge. I notice, and this Jake will know from the Premier League Insights podcast, that I like an extravagant bet, Andrew. I like <laughs> going for something that's a little what bit outlandish. No, no, no. So, look, <laughs> this is... I'm only asking, I'm only asking. You know Joe I'm... Willock's not playing in this game, don't you? <laughs> Joe Willock gets a mention every single week. Um, yeah. I was going to say, look, um, Guardiola and Co to win with a minus one and a half handicap at 3.8. I think that's worth considering. But I want you to dissuade me from doing so because, I mean, we're talking about odds that are sort of all over the place. I don't think that's a bad one. Jake, you're going to shoot me down and uh, give me a good reason for, for doing so. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I, I, we, we've agreed that it's going to be a tight and cagey game and I, I think it's 1-0 either way personally. But you know, the way that your minus one and a half could come in, if I'm going to back you up a little bit, is if Manchester City are leading going into the last few minutes, Chelsea commit bodies forward and, and City get a, a second and put it to bed. Um, but personally, I think it's going to be 
Um, 1-0 either way. I think it's going to be very, very similar to the FA Cup semi-final, which did see both teams cancel each other out. Andrew was right to point out that the second meeting, there's a fair few caveats there that the penalty miss, also the fact that neither team were playing a strong 11. They'd all, they both played in the, in the Champions League the week, uh, midweek before, so there was a lot of rotation um, and resting. So that, that has to be taken with a pinch of salt that the second Chelsea win. Um, but yeah, when all, all said and done, you have to say that Manchester City, as well as being the best team, they have a slight edge. I know that they played a pretty full-strength team against Everton at the weekend, which was a little bit surprising. Um, but they, they did have the luxury of resting players in the midweek prior, whereas Chelsea, given their situation, with basically the same eleven. Because as you've said quite rightly, James, it just, the, the, the depth that they've got, while it is quality, perhaps some of the players aren't as good at adapting to that new system that Tuchel's implemented. Um, as others and, and perhaps don't give him as much as what certain players do the ones that are starting very regularly for like Mason Mount who feels, feels like he's played pretty much every minute of every game for the last four months so um, I think City have an edge I would be looking at if you wanted a bigger price Manchester City to win to nil but I think I'm a very safe I like to think of a very safe punter in terms of sticking to you know shorter prices and hoping that over the long term we, we make profit that way. Um, just both teams to score no at around 1.8 does really appeal to me. Um, I think the, you know, we have seen a few high scoring Champions League finals in recent years, um, but the majority, as Andrew said, of the games between teams from the same country do tend to be very tight. And um, yeah, I think that given that we have got two, the two best defences in the Premier League, possibly the two best in Europe, I think that at least one team failing to score is, is a pretty decent shout. And, you know, nil-nil is not out of the question. I love the fact that you're happily nailing some numbers to this mast here in the podcast, Jake. That's <laughs> what we want. Andrew, it's now your turn. I want to see um, any sort of prices or anything that jumps off the page at you in terms of the pinnacle odds, pinnacle.com, to find the odds. And um, if there's anything that makes you think, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stick my neck on the line. I'm going to say that. Um, well, to be honest, I think uh, Jake has sort of stolen my thunder a little bit. I think <laughs> both teams to both teams to score no is um, is probably the way to go. I mean, similarly, under two point two five goals um, currently showing at one point eight six nine um, for for much the same reason. Um, it is unusual to see a lot of goals in in these sorts of games. And there's no game bigger. I mean, both teams will probably be happy enough to get to half time at nil nil and see what what goes from there. So I can't really give you anything uh, out of the blue. That's number standpoint. I suppose we are going to reach sort of the same uh, the same conclusion. I've just checked on Pinnacle. The uh, Man City win to nil is just over two to one. So that's a, a slightly bigger price for you there, James. Well, there we go. Hey, I like this. This is good. I'm just trying to think where else can um, supporters find the edge. It's difficult when it's one game that we're talking about. One game in isolation. It's not like, I mean, it's easy when it's over two legs. You've got a little bit more to go at, haven't you? And also you can sort of reassess after the first leg. It was much easier in the semi-finals. Roll on the old days and two-legged finals for major uh, trophies. <laughs> That's what I say, certainly from a betting standpoint. Midfield battle, that's interesting as well, isn't it? Kante and Fernandinho, uh, Mount or De Bruyne controlling the game. I mean, I know that who I'd rather be back in, in that one, in the Mount versus De Bruyne game, but Mount has been imperious. You know, the numbers, Jake, might say something different, but 
he has looked pretty decent. In fact, you're shaking your head, so you're suggesting actually that if we're looking purely from info, goal and other stats, that there's not much that separates between Mace and Mount and Kevin De Bruyne. Can you believe it? I mean, I didn't say that. The, the shake of the head didn't imply that. But um, <laughs> he's definitely, um, you know, as well as his all-round game really improving under Tuchel, given the fact that that effectively Tuchel has played with a back three and two holding midfielders in pretty much every match. So he's got a bit more freedom mount to get involved in the attacking play without having too much defensive um, work to get through. I mean, he still gets through the tackles and the interceptions because of his high press, but um, yeah, his his numbers would look, or his actual numbers anyway, goals and assists would look a lot better in the Premier League this season if his teammates could take chances. Um, he, he's he's got around, I think it's five assists this season. His expected assist total is around ten. So he, you know, his team he's basically laid on plate quite a few chances for for his mates, and, and they've not put them away. And, and that's been Chelsea's issue um, pretty much all season long, even under Frank Lampard as well. Um, but yeah, especially since Tuchel took over, the, obviously the, the thing, first thing that Tuchel did was come in, made them a bit more rigid, more difficult to beat, keep more clean sheets. Um, and we have started to see a more expansive attacking game in recent weeks in particular, creating much you know, more chances regularly. Um, like I said, they, they breached the, um, the two expected goal mark in pretty much, I think it's four of the last six games uh, in the Premier League. Three expected goals against Leicester, three expected goals against Villa. So they are creating the chances. It is just putting them away that's been the major issue. And uh, obviously one of the main culprits for that, unfortunately, is Timo Werner, who has underperformed by around six goals this season. So it shows you that he's getting in the the right position to score. And if he continues to do that and they continue to create the chances at the same rate, eventually uh, he's going to get on a bit of a hot streak because he is getting himself in the really, really decent scoring opportunities. It just absolutely reeks of a man who's just completely underperformed, being bereft of goals, not bereft of chances, by the way, because that's a completely different entity, isn't it? But, Andrew, can we see Timo Werner popping a winner in, redeeming all the squandered chances (laughs) throughout the Premier League season in Portugal on Saturday night? It is the kind of story that sort of the gods of football, if there is such a thing, love, don't they? You know, the guy who uh, sort of struggles all season and pops up with an important goal um, that sort of thing. I mean, yeah, he, he, he was the worst player in the Premier League this season for um, goals. <laughs> well, you're just going to stop there. Stop He's the there. worst player in the Premier League. <laughs> yeah, worst player in the Premier League. Next question. No, he, yeah. uh, for converting expected goals into, into actual goals, he was the worst player in, um, in the Premier League. I think possibly in the big five leagues now. Um, of course, in a one-off game, that doesn't particularly matter. You know, if he gets the chance... He scored a heck of a lot of goals last season. So, you know, it's not like he, he's not capable of, of scoring. So maybe the chance will fall to him and he'll, he'll put it away. I mean, he scored in the semi-final. I mean, he, he, even he would have struggled to miss that one, I think, when it <laughs> popped, off, popped off the bar on the goal line. But, you know, he, he, he is more but He was in that position, wasn't he? You know, that, that's half the battle is, is anticipating where that ball was going to drop. So, but yeah, you're, you're dead right. And just, just on Timo Werner, I mean, I don't know if Pinnacle offer markets on players to score goals that then disallow for offside, but I think I would be going for Timo Werner in that one because I think it's three offside goals he's had disallowed in the last two matches. So, um, say, yeah, yeah. We saw, one on, saw one on Sunday, didn't we, on the final day of yeah. the Premier League season. Um, yeah, I know, by the way, Jake, you're absolutely right. If they could um, offer odds on that, I mean, you'd be, we'd be telling everyone just to lump on there. <laughs> um, you're absolutely bang on there. Now, I'm going to ask you, look, we couldn't preview this game until the cows come home. But I think that when it's one game, 
I think a lot of our listeners here, they just, they just think, come on. What am I, what, what, they've got the money, they're ready, they're logged on to Pinnacle, and they're thinking, where am I putting my money? So, gents, nail your colours to the mast. I know you've chucked a few little sort of notables out there, but if you had to predict a winner and also just something just to keep an eye on, I know you pretty much have, but just to reaffirm it, this is the segment where you need to really pay attention, listeners. And uh, Jake and Andrew will um, give us their picks for this Champions League final. And we'll start putting you on the spot, Andrew. (laughs) (laughs) I've been thinking about this a lot, obviously, over the last couple of weeks. And I was sort of starting to edge towards Chelsea. Um, But as we sit here and record it today, they're not sure if Mendy's going to be able to play in goal. And while it looks a bit more likely, they're not sure if Kante is going to be available to play in midfield. And I think if those two players are both out, I would have to go to go for Manchester City. I was leaning towards Chelsea, as I say, um, because of their good recent record and their incredible defensive uh, record under Tuchel. But if those players are out, I think you would have to go for, for Manchester City if you weren't going to anyway. Um, as I said, I think it, you know, it, it's set up to be a, a fascinating tactical battle and, and who knows what formation and, and players are going to play. But I think we can expect a tight game and I think Man City will probably edge it um, 1-0, but extra time penalties, I, I certainly uh, wouldn't be surprised if that, was, if that was how it all played out. But um, I think it's going to be more of an intriguing game rather than an entertaining one. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think we're both agreed on the both teams to score no as a, as a sort of main selection that we're both on board with at around 1.8. That just looks really, really sensible. I mean, the stats back it up from, you know, Tuchel's time at Chelsea, the amount of games that have been, you know, seen at least one team keep a clean sheet are quite staggering, really, across Premier League and Champions League and FA Cup. Um, and obviously a few goals in, in all of those as well. So, um, yeah, really happy to get on board with both teams to score no. But like Andrew said, I mean, the key points there, um, Mendy and Kante, they're, half of the spine of Chelsea, aren't they? That current team, that current crop. I mean, Mendy, I didn't realise how many clean sheets he actually collected this season, given that he didn't start the first five or six matches. I think he was only a couple behind Edison in the Golden Glove race. Um, he's been crucial. And then you've got Kepper in the mix, if not, who, you know, he's played a fair few games recently, so he's not, you know, he's, he's got that match experience under his belt over the last couple of games. But um, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't fill you with confidence, does he, when, when he's between yeah. the sticks and, um, and yeah, when you're looking at dealing with the likes of De Bruyne and Foden, you really do need Kante in there because he, um, yeah, he, he's just like a hoover, isn't he? He hoovers all the balls up as they're going past him, whereas Kovacic is just very, very clumsy. Um, as we saw against Aston Villa at the weekend, the turning possession over in his own half, etc., which is not what you need against Manchester City. So um, if those two are definitely out, then I would absolutely be looking at Manchester City to win the game in 90 minutes. I think that they could really make a statement. Um, it's around 1.88 on, at Pinnacle at the moment, but I think, um, yeah, both teams score no really is, is the, the main selection. And um, like, like Andrew said, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see it be nil-nil, go to extra time, maybe even penalties, um, given what's, what we've said so far. Gents, there we go. I think that our Pinnacle punters will hopefully have gleaned plenty of information there. We, whichever way it goes, it is going to be a brilliant game. Well, it might not be a brilliant game. It'll be a fascinating game. How's that for diplomacy? Jake, Oscar Thorpe and Andrew Beasley, thank you very much for joining us on the Pinnacle Preview Podcast. As always, you can find our Champions League odds on Pinnacle.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Pinnacle and Pinnacle.betting on our swanky new Instagram page. Before, during and after the final itself, 
plus plenty of content across Euro 2020, Andrew's article that I mentioned online at the moment, the Copper America and more. And please, as ever, remember to gamble responsibly.